This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hey folks, quick favor to ask. We love having great advertisers support the show, but in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com kick and take a quick anonymous survey that'll help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different, so I'd really love it if you took it all over again. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash kick. P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash kick. Thanks for your help. Today's podcast is sponsored by Nadex. Want to try day trading the markets but worried about the risk? What if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front? Well, now you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. And now, enjoy the podcast. David was small, but oh my. David was small, but oh my. He shot Goliath, who laid down and dieth. David was small, but oh my. That was a clip from New Worlds, a just-released classical album from Bill Murray, yes, that Bill Murray, and concert cellist Jan Vogler. The album came out October 1st, and it's soon to be followed by a national tour that includes a concert at New York's famed Carnegie Hall October 16th. You might not expect Bill Murray to be headlining a classical concert, but then again, the actor has a habit of turning up in the most unexpected places. Truth be told, New Worlds is more than just a classical album and a concert. Murray and Vogler described the project as an exploration of American identity and values through a combination of classical music performed by Vogler and friends and Bill Murray's unique interpretations of beloved American literary classics and songs. Today, Bill and Jan join me on the podcast to talk about how New Worlds evolved from a chance meeting on a flight from Berlin to New York and how the actor and the cellist act as each other's creative muse. Bill Murray describes the similarities between comedy and poetry, mourns the death of the American humorist, and passionately rejects those stodgy rules that say a song has to be sung in a particular way or a poem has to be read with a certain rhythm. Jan recalls growing up in Soviet East Germany and how he says he was set free by reading the great American classics in his father's library. Plus, the Tao of Bill Murray and the real scoop on some of those legends you've read about him on the internet. Oh, and there may or may not be an orgy going on in the sound booth. Coming up with Bill Murray and Jan Vogler in just a moment.
Today I'm delighted to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, award-winning actor, master of deadpan comedy, and all-around bon vivant, Bill Murray, who together with acclaimed concert cellist Jan Vogler has put together an ambitious new classical album that combines music from composers like Gershwin, Bernstein, Bach, Schubert, and others with poems and literary readings from great American authors including Mark Twain, Truman Capote, Hemingway, and Walt Whitman. The album is called New Worlds. It's on sale now, and Bill and Jan will be kicking off a national tour, starting with a concert at Santa Barbara's Granada Theater this Friday, October 6th. Bill and Jan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Uh, sure, thanks. Not a problem. Well, guys, I really enjoyed the album, and Thank I'm looking you. forward to seeing you perform live in concert. But I confess that the two of you strike me as an unusual or at least unexpected pairing. This collaboration almost sounds a little bit like a setup to a joke. You know, a concert <laughs> cellist and the guy from Caddyshack go on a world tour. Um, did you two know each other before this project, or how did you guys meet? Well, we met on an airplane. Uh, we met uh, going through sort of security or, you know, on our way onto an airplane coming from Berlin to going to Newark, maybe, or JFK. I don't know where. JFK, I think. I th and um, I said, excuse me, pal. Are you going to be able to fit that thing in the overhead? And he looked at me like I was, you know, brain damaged. And he said, <laughs> it has its own seat. Not only, not only does it have its own seat, it has the window seat. And it's a, Did it it's, really? Yeah, it's a, it's a cello <laughs> that's worth more than all my uh, rock and roll T-shirts put together. So uh, it's, uh, it's quite a piece of, piece of uh, wood. Jan, do you need a seat belt extender for that thing? Correct. That's exactly what I need. Oh, you're serious? <laughs> yeah. So you guys had that exchange while you're going through security, and then I guess an eight-hour flight gives you plenty of time to get to know each other, huh? We got off to a pretty good start because uh, because there was he had given the window seat to this uh, this case, and I was stuck on the aisle too. And then there was a woman that was having a panic attack on the plane from about flying. So we just sort of looked at each other and realized we were we we assumed that we were qualified to calm down someone that was having an attack, and we spent the next few hours of the flight just uh, making her feel all right. And it was, we had fun doing it, too, because, you know, you can't have someone that's in panic without getting some jokes in. <laughs> How do you always seem to find yourself in these situations, Bill? <laughs> Stepping in and calming down a woman having a panic attack on a transatlantic flight just sounds like one of these typical Bill Murray internet stories, doesn't it? I mean, do you seek out these situations like a divining rod, or do they just somehow always seem to find you? I get lucky. I get lucky. You know, I'm, you know it could happen to you, too, but you've got to be just ready. You know? But it was, it was a nice piece of luck for all of us, I think. And you guys just stayed in touch after that, or what? So we had a lot of fun doing that, and then... And we kept it up. I mean, we, we, what, what do we do? We, you know, we, uh, have, you know, party, party or two, and maybe a movie premiere or something. And then we did a, a poetry uh, event. I invited Jan to a poetry event. Yeah, that poetry reading is another one that sounds like the kind of thing that we've come to expect from Bill Murray. Because Jan, didn't Bill send you a cryptic text one day, just telling you to meet him on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge? And that was really interesting for me because it was uh, I was totally unprepared. Bill sent me a text, meet me at the Manhattan side of the Brooklyn Bridge, 445. And I came there and I had no clue what was happening. And there was Walt Whitman on the Manhattan side of the bridge and on the bridge and on the Brooklyn side recited <laughs> by different 
um, poets. And um, the highlight for me was at the gala, which followed um, Bill reciting Walt Whitman. And that was really a revelation. And I thought, boy, that's really made me understand that poem. He put it like in the room and I could walk around the poem and look at it from all different sides. It had this kind of three-dimensional quality. And um, I always loved poetry. So then a week later, I went with my kids to see Jungle Book, uh, the film where <laughs> Bill is singing so beautifully with these New Orleans bands. And I thought, okay, he can sing and recite. And I know he has another few... <laughs> very important qualities, so lots of humor. <laughs> and uh, I thought, maybe we can do something together. And we started working on it, and inspiration was just flowing in from all sides. As the two of you began hanging out together, did you find that inhabiting each other's artistic worlds gave you maybe something of a creative shot in the arm? Well, the first thing that we did sort of together was Jan invited me to a concert he was playing in Dresden. I was working in Germany, so I traveled at high speed over to Dresden to watch this show. And the show was, you know, kind of befuddling. There were great players in it. It was a strange, it was a composition for orchestra and car parts or, or factory parts. <laughs> and it was at the Volkswagen plant in in, uh, in Dresden. And uh, there were people like slamming fenders together and boinging big springs and and hitting all kinds of car parts together. And that was, and that passed for percussion. and. People wow. had to act like it wasn't weird. That was what I enjoyed. Was It wasn't the fact that it, they were banging car parts. It was that everybody acted like it was sort of what we always do here with the orchestra. They acted like no big thing. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty pretty stern, stiff, straight face these guys are pulling. And then we just hung out afterwards, and I realized that uh, classical musicians stay up late. You know, They don't yeah. go right to sleep, You know, and uh, and they laugh a lot, and they... They have, always have enough ice, and uh, they're, they're, you can count on them <laughs> in an emergency situation after a show. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun, and then, then it just seemed like the way they talked, the way they talked about life was not very different than the way other sort of artists talk about life and the fun of it and you know, just being able to uh, stand in, in a room and not think, well, I don't have to really understand every composition so much as to understand life, and this is working. You know, this uh, I can survive in here. So we just, that kind of conversation that we continued to, uh, like going to movies to get in, movies and concerts and hearing things, and just sort of said, well, we're, we're probably a lot close, more similar than we expected, you know, so. So you guys are spending uh, all this time together, having fun, enjoying all of these cultural pursuits, bonding over your mutual love of music and verse. At what point did you guys say, you know, maybe we should collaborate on something and start to figure out what that project was going to be? Well, the first idea, well, Jan did all the work, so I'll let him do all the talking, but we, we it, before there was an album, there was the idea of just playing. First, we just played. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the idea of, an sh of a show, of something which could convey all the values we want to convey anyway, and but in a more condensed and uh, intense form. I must say that what we do in this show is basically what I try in every concert, but I think having the help of the word and these great authors uh, enriched and intensified the message so much. And so when you listen to the show, you, you start thinking about life and about all kinds of things, empathy, sympathy, um, freedom, um, all kinds of basic things which make uh, humanity um, go forward, I think. And 
these authors are not only great, they are really awesome. I mean, they are um, so special that each time I hear Bill reading them, I hear another detail on another inflection and I just start thinking again about something. So so it's uh, really lots of geniuses in this uh, show and we can uh, basically, while we are performing them, we can also listen to them. That's it's mm. also great, um, great luxury, I must say, to be there and to experience it each time and to be part of it. I've heard you describe New Worlds as an exploration of American identity and American values through music and literature. Bill performs readings from the works of famous American writers who will no doubt be familiar to our listeners. We mentioned Walt Whitman, of course, but also Truman Capote, James Fenmore Cooper, Ernest Hemingway, Mark Twain. But for you, Jan, being from Germany, were you exposed to many of the great American literary classics like, say, Huck Finn or The Deerslayer growing up? Yeah, I, I kind of with a certain me- melancholy, I must say that I think my father would have been a great immigrant. My father would have <laughs> become very happy in America. We lived in East Germany and he, were, he read all these books of American authors and uh, they were available in, in, the, in the library in the house and I read a lot of them, of them uh, as a child in German translations. And when I came to New York and started speaking English, I uh, wanted to um, really... Try to read them in English. So slowly, I was catching up with the details of um, English language in Hemingway, Twain, or mm-hmm. Arthur Miller. So it's it's kind of a uh, been a beautiful journey. And I always think about my father and thinking like he loved freedom and he had all the freedom in his library at home in East Berlin. Yeah, it sounds like he would have loved this album. Yes. So how did you guys go about selecting these music and literary pairings? Did you start with a poem or a story and then try to find music that evoked the spirit of it? Or did you start with the music and work off of that? Well, I guess the Whitman poem probably came from the Poet's House Bridgewalk. Right. But um, Jan really put most of the stuff together. He dragged a bunch of books out and said, these are books that I know. And so I said, okay, I think I know most of those. But the, the actual selections, Jan, you know, grabbed the selections, um, and they came together rather easily. After we started playing together as a group, we began combining the music and the and the readings together, and that that turned out to be because we wanted to put things on the record, but the show was longer, and we thought, what if we did? What if we combined some of these things, and then found that that really played very well. It wasn't a cheat at all. It actually played and there was some a different event occurred when you played and read at the same time. And Vanessa and Mira also, they were a big help because I think looking in their eyes when we were uh, playing or trying something out, you, you get a lot of response. If you have a good team and if you have good mm-hmm. uh, communications, you get a lot of responses and you can feel if something is is right and something is ripe to be, you know, used in a program or if you need to tweak it and change it around. And and I think Bill is also a great um, kind of partner in this, uh, in crime, because when when I would have put something together and I would read an order of the pieces next morning and Bill would say, why don't you put number six at number two? And it was just perfect. Like it was n- just Hit the nail on the head. So, so I mean, the quality of this was really the, the collaboration, I think, and and the, the um, energy which comes together. And I think for all great things in life, basically, collaboration is the key. If you really think about it, there is no single man advance in humanity. I think it's always 
uh, I must be inspiration and then there's a wave of, of energy built and then you can write on it, I think. Well, poetry has an obvious meter to it, but do you find that even literary prose has a certain pulse or rhythmic touchstones that sync well with classical music? Yeah, music music in general, I think, it has to be pretty much in sync and uh, poetry has its own rhythm too and uh, readings of, of literature for me have maybe sometimes more rhythm than music <laughs> if you think about <laughs> it. It's a bone, it's a, it's a backbone of of. of Uh, language is the backbone of music, I think, and music came mm -hmm. out of language in a, in a way, no? Don't you think, Bill? I don't know. Well, I was just thinking that push starting a car is something where there really has to be a great collaboration because <laughs> you pop the clutch, well, don't pop the clutch. Or you can put someone's face through the rear window if, if it's just not together. Um, yeah, I think uh, first there was a, a sound, a vocal sound, yeah. In talking about the similar rhythms of music and literature, how about with comedy and poetry, Bill? Certainly, I suppose, in terms of timing and maybe in other ways, do you find that comedy and poetry are sort of two sides of the same coin? Yeah, there's a, a reading. When you're reading aloud, I think reading poetry is, uh, has been a great help to me in, all, in everything I do because I had to sort of crack the egg in my head and realize... That my own rhythm, the way I speak, is is a way that you can read a poem. That you don't have to read a poem the way you always heard poems. But up, but up, but up, but up. It doesn't have to be that sort of tightly wound, and that the rhythm of the poem is the rhythm of the ideas, not the feet. I, I, I find, hmm. you know, it's not the feet. It's yeah. the rhythm of the ideas, and you know, cheat is just a. It's just a. Um, you know, it's just being polite. I think to. Uh, the guy laying out the print. I don't know. I don't understand. It doesn't have to sound that way. It doesn't have to feel that way. And the and you can let that let the feeling of the ideas dictate the rhythm for you rather than the the printer's ink. What you just said might be considered pretty revolutionary or even treasonous in some literary circles, but I do admit that I get what you're saying because as a kid, I remember poetry didn't really resonate with me. The teachers drilled it into us that poems had to be recited with a certain cadence and follow iambic pentameter or whatever structural conventions. And I remember it struck me as a surefire way to beat the joy out of the whole thing. But when I listened to you recite Whitman on this album... It's not just you, Bill Murray, trying to conform to some established set of rules about what Whitman has to be. And in a weird way, it actually seems more authentic to both you and Whitman. No, it, no, thank you. It's, I'm trying. I'm trying my hardest to be be <laughs> myself. But and it's and it's a it's a delight to because uh, to, it it's calling you just the way we were brought up. It's calling you to fall into the the. The, the tiger trap of reading it the old-fashioned way and you've mm. got to avoid it you've got to you've got to watch and say no no it'll 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 tell me when to speak it'll tell me when to talk mm. you know if I just listen so that's it's it's a lot of fun to do it's it's not just fun it's a it's a challenge and you feel like you owe it to someone to uh, to uh, to keep these uh, poems alive to keep them in circulation to keep them uh, audible, to keep them heard. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Bill Murray and Jan Vogler when we come back in just a moment. 
Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies convince you that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let credit associates settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call 1-800-500-0351. They'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, don't let the credit card companies convince you that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. Credit Associates depends on your success and offers a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call 1-800-500-0351. That's 1-800-500-0351. Well, we were just talking about all the thought that you and Jan put into the pace and the order of these pieces. I wonder, with these readings, tonally and emotionally, you're doing a lot of gear shifts in quick succession, from the humorous to the somber to hopeful and then back again. Do you find that the music helps you make those quick character transitions faster and really gets you in the headspace of the piece? Well, it works out that way but sometimes, but it's really more... Uh... We gotta, we gotta, we've got to make an impression first. We've got to make, uh, and we, we lead off with some strong uh, compositions and some strong playing before we start uh, trying to talk people any, into any kind of point of view. We let the music start for us, and that takes it from, mm -hmm. we take it from the top of the music. We let the music get us, earn us uh, uh, a little bit of cachet, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, forgiveness before they let uh, the guy who's doing the talking do the talking. We, we, we let the aces start. We gotta, the top of the lineup is, is pretty damn strong. Right. Well, it is called Bill Murray, Jan Vogler, and Friends. Who are the friends in this collaboration? Well, it's alphabetical, Murray Vogler. It doesn't have anything to do with talent. But uh, the friends are Mira, Mira Wong, who's our great violinist, and she's, uh, she's, well, she's not only dating this guy, Jan Vogler, she's married to him and has two beautiful daughters <laughs> with him. And then our our pianist Vanessa Perez is wandering around somewhere nearby here. She's from somewhere south of here. It could be Colombia, it could be Venezuela or Argentina. <laughs> we don't know where, but she has a bit of an accent, and uh, we haven't identified her yet. And we're not pressing her for uh, papers or identification or anything. But she's not from New York. We're sure of that. But she's um, she's a great player, and her husband Stephen Buck, the stallion. Is the one who does these arrangements, and the arrangements are just so much fun. They're so great. And he also comes along as a kind of a handsome stallion page-turner every once in a while. So <laughs> she's got like a, st a stud turning the pages for her who also helps us out with the arrangements. And makes some ham on the side. And he also makes bacon, homemade bacon. bacon yeah, so, the bacon is know, pretty good. This food. guy's Thomas Jefferson, Stephen Buck, in that order, <laughs> right. great Americans. <laughs> Renaissance men. Yeah. Well, pork products aside, I do find it interesting that you have this culturally diverse ensemble, and here you are fusing American literature with music not just from the American songbook, like Gershwin and Bernstein, but also composers from farther afield, like Astor Piazzolla, Bach, Schubert, 
in doing that, were you trying to say something about the universal resonance of music and its power to cross cultural boundaries? Well, you start with uh, kind of universal music like Bach. Also, Bach uh, had a lot to do with uh, the relationship we created, the friendship we created, because I gave Bill a record of Bach solo suites uh, when we met on the plane. And uh, I found it very sweet that when he came to Dresden, the driver told me he was listening to the record all the way to Dresden. So I think he, he was trying to understand whom he's going to see there <laughs> over there. So it was very nice. And so I thought there has to be a movement of Bach. And that particular prelude is maybe the most genius in its simplicity and uh, just profoundness at the same time. And Whitman and Bach are kind of the universal big voices of humanity. And then we get more and more specific. Yeah. And if you look at Cooper Schubert, it's a um, transatlantic correspondence about nature. Um, Schubert read Cooper. That's um, very, very interesting. Both described nature in an unbelievably genius way. And then more and more you 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 find American art inspired by Europe or, you know, Astor Piazzolla studied in Paris, uh, lived in New York and composed uh, some of his tangos in New York. Very, very interesting. And Ravel composed uh, blues in Paris in the 1920s. So mm -hmm. looked to America for inspiration. And so a lot of um, cross-references and Mancini and um, Mark Twain. There's actually quite a connection if you look at it. Moon River, my Huckleberry right. friend, or Two Drifters, and then um, this beautiful scene from, from Huck Finn, which Bill reads indescribable. I mean, for me, that's the moment in the show mm -hmm. when I have to pull myself together and remind myself that I'm not here to listen. I'm also here to to do a job. So so it's quite um, emotional each time I listen to it. And, and uh, I, I usually, the night after the show when Bill reads that scene, is different from regular nights. Yeah. yeah, the reading of Huckleberry Finn with Moon River is probably my favorite moment on the album, although I have to say that a close second would certainly have to be this section where the ensemble plays that bluesy piece by Maurice Ravel, and Bill reads James Thurber's comical short story, If Grant Had Been Drinking at Appomattox. <laughs> it's so funny and so delightful. I think it has to be an underappreciated classic. And really, the whole genre of comedic short stories in the vein of Thurber or Mark Twain or Damon Runyon seem to have vanished from the American literary landscape. I don't see anyone writing humorous prose like that anymore. As a recipient of the Kennedy Center's Mark Twain Prize for Humor, Bill, do you consider that a blow to the tradition of the great American humorist? Well, you're right about that, and that's <clears throat> that's a great loss. I, I love reading those guys. I love reading Thurber. I used to enjoy when I'd get flu, you know, and I'd just get uh, a book of it, and I would sit, and uh, I would read for a while, and then I'd, I'd just enjoy it so much, and then I'd get sick and fall asleep. And then I'd wake up and I'd read some more of it. It was a, it was just so much fun to wake up and realize if I hadn't gotten sick, I wouldn't be laughing so much, you know. So I it, I got over it pretty quickly, but not so quickly that I didn't finish finish reading a lot of stories, you know. So it's um, I don't know. We, I, we've been denied. We've been deprived uh, the of these of these guys. And uh, mm -hmm. maybe someone out there will listen and say, I you know I could do that. Let me try to do that. They have all these different formats of entertainment and uh, communication, and 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 they're really all suited for this kind of writing. Well, Steve Martin writes short stories. Woody Allen dabbled in short comedy for a while. Have you ever thought about taking a crack at it yourself? 
Well, I, I'm supposed to be a writer. I, I told myself that a long time ago, and I haven't really gotten done what I want to get done. I'm, I'm not very organized. <laughs> well, folks, we were supposed to go for a full half hour, but I'm getting a message from the publicist or the producer well, that we're going to um, have to cut things short at 23 minutes, well, unfortunately. Um, ben, if you see 23 minutes, we see 23 okay, minutes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. The problem is that some of these guys are going to change clothes. And if you hear the sound of undressing, over the microphone. That's because some of the people in this room changing their clothes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Okay. I'll, I'll just, keep it quick. He, that's a heads up. <laughs> yeah. And there's a couple right. of people behind the soundproof glass that are doing kind of more exotic <laughs> things. I don't. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. enough. Oh, I want a play-by-play narration. Uh, you know, Ben doesn't need to. Th- <laughs> ben doesn't need to think about that. Come on. Uh, go ahead. Where were you? Well, it's a good thing this is audio only. (laughs) Um, In addition to these literary readings, you sing on this album, including songs by James Foster and Van Morrison. There's a medley from West Side Story, and you also sing It Ain't Necessarily So from Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Now, Porgy and Bess, you're talking opera there. That's no joke. That's some heavy-duty stuff. Did you feel pressure to do some vocal training and really get yourself in full form for this project? Or did you decide to just kind of come as you are? I've felt all kinds of pressure to become a better human being, and I have resisted and resisted successfully, (laughs) including being a better singer. Uh, But that's an example of something that's traditionally, that those songs were traditionally sung in a certain rhythm, and I I don't cotton to that. I don't like the rhythm... I think that the music is is something that is so extraordinary, and the and the lyrics are extraordinary too. And they don't have to dance atop each other. One of them doesn't have to be dominant. They can, they really can weave their way together. They're both independent and strong. And I like, I like playing with that rhythm too. That's I was very surprised to find that that sort of classic song easily stood uh, a knucklehead like myself changing something about it. That it was. The music could hold any damage I could do to it and still still, uh, still persevere. Well, in recent years, you've been engaging in pursuits that might seem, at least to some, sort of out of left field for you, whether it's going on this classical music tour or doing a Christmas special, buying a baseball team, or crashing the occasional wedding reception, while at the same time, you've always maintained a certain amount of detachment from Hollywood. You don't live in L.A., you don't have an agent or a manager. There are these famous stories of directors having to call you on a 1-800 number to get a script to you. (laughs) Is this indicative of where you are in life at this point, that maybe you're more attracted to doing something just because you've never done it before, or it's fulfilling a childhood dream, or maybe it just sounds like it'd be fun? as opposed to chasing an Oscar or the allure of a big Hollywood paycheck? Well, I find, and you probably do too, Jan, is like people ask you to do stuff all the time, not necessarily mm-hmm. artistic projects either. They just ask you to do stuff because they want someone else to do something for them, whatever it is. And so I remember I got invited to speak at a, a, at a uh, Sturgeon Biodiversity uh, uh, event once at the Natural <laughs> History Museum, and I thought... <laughs> I thought, who the hell just wrote me this letter and said, would you show up at this damn thing? And um, I thought, well, no one ever asked me to speak about sturgeon. And so I went, and I had a, I had a great time, and that was a real 
another great moment where I realized, man, you just got to try the stuff that you've never tried that just sounds odd and weird mm-hmm. instead of staying in your wheelhouse all the time and doing the things that are easily done for you. And I find that even though I feel like, oh, what, what did I ever say yes to this for? Why am I doing this? When you get there, there's such a different set of circumstances and conditions that it creates life. It creates life and art that you would not have ever imagined. You couldn't have seen on the way in. You couldn't have imagined that something would happen there that happens. I have to ask, does it annoy you when you follow your creative muse or wherever life takes you and then people in Hollywood or the entertainment media say, oh, that's Bill Murray. He's a risk taker. He's an enigma. Does that bother you? That that's sort of, you know, I never, I, I hate to hear people say, oh, he's a risk taker. The guys, you know, I want to punch him in the nose when I hear you're a risk taker. <laughs> risk, I'll tell you, I'll show you some risk. You know, go work in a hospital, you know. But what we kind of do, the kinds of things where you just, you just want to stay alive, you know. You just want to yeah. stay alive and, and the way we dull ourselves down from moment to moment is so deadly and such a flu and such a toxic disease we have that anything you can do to change your ordinary patterns is a good thing. You know, it makes you mm-hmm. alive again and alert. And brings inspiration, I think. And uh, Bill singing, for me, it brings me a lot of inspiration. So we had, um, I think in this show, it's also key because talking and music is beautiful, but uh singing as a new element and as a glue in the whole thing is such a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. So uh, that that was the exciting part when I when I heard yeah. Bill sing and I thought like this will really make the show. Well, before we go, I threw it out to the listeners if they have any questions for the two of you. I know that your publicist is dying to get you out of here to your next event, so I'll just limit it to one. It's for Bill. Kevin in Boston writes, I love reading about regular people's interesting and unusual encounters with Bill Murray with entire blogs dedicated to people sharing their personal Bill Murray stories, you are a bona fide legend. Now, let me just pause there and explain to the listeners, in case they didn't know or if they couldn't infer from our earlier conversation, Bill just seems to magically pop up everywhere, crashing everything from a bachelor party to the White House press briefing or riding a children's bike through Walmart, uh, showing up at a house party in Scotland and doing the dishes. Uh, You've popped up in random karaoke bars and in a couple engagement photos. So now that I've given everyone some context, back to the listener question. Kevin wants to know, is it all a carefully crafted persona, or are you just screwing around having fun? (laughs) Which is it, Bill? (laughs) Oh, it's all a carefully crafted persona. I was up very early this morning working my persona. What time? I mean, must have been 5.30 in the morning. I showered and shaved and thought, all right, let's get back to that persona stuff. I don't have an there, – there's no plan here, Ben, really. If there yeah. were a plan, it wouldn't have worked out this way. It really wouldn't have. Is it surreal for you that you've become something of a folk hero on the Internet? Uh, yes, of, of course I'm surprised. It's a, it's kind of funny. It's kind of charming. It's It's kind of amusing. I'm, I, you know, and it's the and the and the real laughing up my sleeve is that these no one knows just what a boring person I am and what how dull and evil I can be. You know, this, I'm really I'm really a problem, uh, and should be maybe not exterminated, but disciplined and punished for what I've done, the life I've lived. So I don't uh, I don't, you know, all that's kind of fun, and it, it's just just a byproduct of you know what we talk about of just trying to stay alive 
you know, to stay yeah. alert and make your life, uh, you know, be really living. Jan is hanging out with Bill just as fun as it seems. Well, I enjoy being with him. It's like, like friendship <laughs> is, and I think hanging out is as much fun as working together, and both feeds each other. I think so. So we yeah. are also hanging out sometimes. We are not only working hard. That's not um, yeah. not the plan. Just don't be surprised if you end up one night on a fishing boat to Nova Scotia. <laughs> you never know with this guy. Anyway, Bill and Jan's album is called New Worlds, and it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and there's even an LP. Their U.S. tour kicks off this Friday, October 6th, starting with Santa Barbara, and a few of the other cities they'll be hitting include Chicago, October 10th, Toronto, October 13th, Dallas on the 26th, plus dates in Denver, San Francisco, Buffalo, Portland, and Seattle before the year's out. And on October 16th, they'll be playing New York's Carnegie Hall. Congrats on that. Thank you. Guys, have fun on the tour, and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Ben, it's so so nice to, to talk to you, and thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Ben. That exotic dancing behind the window is not proper. Proper. Today's episode was sponsored by Nadex. Want to try day trading the markets but worried about the risk? What if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front? Well, now you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Thanks again to Bill Murray and Jan Vogler for coming on the show. Once more, their classical album, New Worlds, is available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and wherever you buy music. For dates and tickets to see Bill and Jan live as part of their New Worlds tour, visit janvogler.com. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. And please take a moment to take our listener survey at podsurvey.com kick so we can get to know who's listening and it's also helpful with our advertisers. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.